If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Once you're in the virtual space, the sky's the limit when it comes to creativity. Go there and be 3D, right? Be a person who can fly like Peter Pan. Don't just go there to replicate real life. That's incredibly boring. What's involved? If you'd really like to offer a class, a conference, or some other special event in virtual or mixed reality, how do you make it both compelling and fun? And where do you even start? Dr. Heather Dodds has some great answers to those questions. Heather is a senior researcher in the areas of design and experience in mixed reality. She is also an author. She writes about immersive technology, and she's a VR conference producer and designer. In June, Heather served as co-chair for the Immersive Learning Research Network's 2020 conference. The Immersive Learning Research Network Conference, or iLearn Conference for short, presented five days of workshops, panels, and exhibits, all of them fully online and offered in virtual reality as well. And Heather continues to collaborate on a freelance basis with XR researchers all over the world. Heather, before we get to talking about hosting virtual events, I'd love to know how virtual worlds and creating an XR first came on your radar as an area in which you'd really like to work. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I first got introduced to virtual worlds back in 2008, and it was actually at a conference, and a speaker who was booked to speak over the lunch section of the conference introduced Second Life. And she said, all the college students are doing it. Your college students are going to be in there. you got to go check it out. So I literally went home from that conference and loaded Second Life on my computer. And within two years of that time, I started working on my Ph.D. in virtual worlds. And so I actually got my Ph.D. from some research I did in Second Life. And I've been interested in virtual worlds ever since. Sounds like you felt madly in love with it and didn't look back. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> you recently designed a highly successful conference, the Immersive Learning Research Network's 2020 conference. Would you tell me what that experience was like for you? Yeah, it was exactly like juggling things that are actively on fire. <laughs> it was a great experience. It, it, it had many levels of surreal but, but it's hard to believe what we pulled off. People asked us, how did you do this so quickly? And I, had, I did have to actually look at the calendar, and I just checked my notes. We made the decision to switch to online on March 11th, and exactly on that day, at, exactly at that time, it was 26 hours later that the United States closed their borders to Europe, and 50% of the iLearn membership comes from Europe. So it was a scary decision to shut down a physical conference and switch it to online and then to follow right behind it with the COVID-19 crisis. So, so that was the genesis of moving the conference to a brand new model. And then very quickly, we switched it to thoughts of virtual because we are the immersive learning network. So it makes sense that we should walk our talk when it comes to using immersive environments. And after that, it was just a case of finding, picking a platform or a series of platforms that would be the most aligned with the organization's mission values of love and trust. 
So for us, that became trying to find platforms that were accessible more than any other feature. So that became Verbella, that became Altspace, and to also frame VR was used in the conference, and a little bit of Mozilla Hubs showed up. An interesting point for that is that we could access the conference I attended, and I didn't have a headset. People could access this conference from their desktop. They could also go into VR, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. A VR headset was actually slightly less ideal for Verbella, but yes, it was a majoritarily 2D conference designed to be just like that. What were some of the experiences like just before that conference happened? You'd made your scary decision. The borders are now closed. Now we've got to go ahead with all these platforms. What kinds of things happen? Well, we continued to rest with technology problems all through the planning phases. So one of the problems that we actually had with the technology is several forms of the technology had never been combined together. And we had never, we as the organization committee had never combined some of these forms of technology together. So it was our first time using Sketch, our first time streaming out to YouTube, our first time trying to have speakers speak in Zoom and have that simultaneously brought into Verbella and then also broadcast back out to YouTube. So the technology wrestling started and continued. But from the design side, we had several wins that really played out. The first major win is that we did switch the idea of the majority of the what we considered regular concurrent sessions at a conference, the straightforward research presentations, were all switched to the flipped model. That means that we switched and had all of our presenters prepare the heart of the content of what they were going to present in a video that was actually ready before the conference even began. And then our live time together when we were in presentation rooms together with the speakers, we dedicated that time to a very short presentation of their research and then the remainder of their time to Q&A with the speaker right there. So the idea there was really to use our live together in world time to its best advantage and shift the content, which would be more of the heavy learning, heavy reading part to outside of the venue of the conference so that that could be done basically whenever the user felt like they wanted to consume the content, it was waiting for them. So that part worked really well. We also built in some volunteer instructional designers who were available to help presenters refine their videos. That was something that was built in. And basically, we tried to just play up all the affordances that three-dimensional virtual worlds would give to a gathering of people and play down all the parts of a conference that people don't really enjoy anyways. So, <laughs> you know, the travel, the hassle, the spreading of germs, all that part never happened. But we did get to network, meet people, be in rooms with people. You know, more of the networking, more of the meeting people was really, really played up in this conference. You realize that anybody that's thinking of doing a virtual event right now is probably taking notes because all those wins are something that could apply to just about anything virtual. Absolutely. What if somebody listening right now has to do what you did? Let's say either they're teaching a class that's going to have to be virtual, or maybe they're planning a festival and they can't have it physically and don't quite know where to start with creating a virtual event and hosting it. Where would you start? Well, the easiest place to start is to Think of the event 
in real time space. So there's a lot about planning and designing that centers and still involves the human, right? Just because we're using the technology, the technology is simply the artifact. It's simply the medium, but it's still going to be humans to humans. So keeping in mind how a human is going to interact with your event should be what you were thinking of when you were thinking of a physical event, right? You were probably planning like, oh, what venue should we use? Will there be enough bathrooms? Where's the food? Where's the water? You know, you'd figure those things out if you were bringing people physically together. But now that you want to do it virtually, you're going to think of the same ideas of like, what are people going to do with their time when they arrive here? What's going to keep them interested? What's going to keep them engaged? How are they going to be able to talk to other people or meet other people or just exchange information with other people? So I always say it's perfectly fine to start with thoughts that are very, very physical and real-world based, and then from there jump out into start winnowing out which thoughts make sense for virtual space and which thoughts suddenly make no sense in virtual space. And I can give you an example of that if you want to know what I'm talking about there. Please. One of the design features that came up that I was asked to design was, Heather, design a way to notify the speakers that they have so many minutes remaining in their time on the stage. And I rejected that idea. I said, no, no, you know, <laughs> we're not going to be on stage and someone won't be sort of hogging the limelight and talking, droning on endlessly and need to be somehow signaled or flags that they're running out of time and please wrap it up because we need to get to the next speaker. I was like, no, no, these speakers are going to be at home. They're going to be in front of a home computer, most likely, or a laptop. And it has a little clock in the corner and they're going to see when their 15 minutes are up. And, and if they run over a little bit, an avatar will walk over in front of them and say, hey, that was really great, but we need to wrap up now, you know, <laughs> and walk away. So that was an idea where it didn't make sense to do that. You know, you would do that in the physical world, but you didn't need to do it in a virtual world because knowing what time it is in a 2D environment like we did in Verbella was quite easy to know. It wasn't difficult to know. It was actually easy to know. On the other hand, something like our exposition hall, which was virtual, completely felt and played out exactly like a real exposition hall would. Several of us checked on it every morning. Several of us walked it every morning to make sure all the posters were in place. We double-checked to make sure videos were working. We dropped in when things broke and assisted presenters to make sure that their poster area was behaving exactly the way it should. But once we basically built the exposition hall, once it was set, it ran on its own. So that was a really great example of how you set up a space, socket full of content, and then just let it run, and it, it did its own job at that point. So just like a regular exposition hall, you'd build it up for one aspect of the conference, and then when the conference is done, you'd tear it down. So that one was very, very like real-world experience. What did you use to build up that exposition hall? Well, the exposition hall was actually from Verbella, and I didn't know it until we were running it, but that's when we used it for iLearn 2020. That's only the second time they've ever run the expo hall <laughs> out of their servers. So that was really cool. But basically, it's a separate island. You can't walk to it. You do have to teleport to it. So that signals that you are on a separate set of servers. And it makes sense because that exposition hall was very content-heavy. When you walk in, it can hold a, basically a certain number of posters. And a poster could be huge, 
and a poster could be really, really small. But what you need to realize is that every single thing you load into that space becomes a file that a server is holding somewhere. And then as an avatar, when you walk in, your avatar is going to start drawing those files off the server to load them so that you can see them. So you can actually have a much larger exposition hall than we had. I think our hall held roughly 160 posters. We changed some of the layout a little bit so it didn't hold 160. Some of the islands were much, much bigger for our bigger sponsors. But when you walk in, your avatar is drawing probably 300 objects from the server just to show you what's within maybe 50 meters of where you were standing. And so that's a lot of draw to try to bring things over the bandwidth because it's trying to actually bring you people's poster images, photographs, logos, colors. It's still animating the trees outside. It's putting carpet under your feet. You know, the server's working really hard to get that expo hall to work. And so that was tough. So we had to load content in. At one point, we started to realize when we had a few people who were in the organizing committee couldn't come into the expo hall without their computers crashing, we knew there was too much content very likely loaded in that hall. So we actually pulled back on some content. We lowered some of the draw for people to come in. We didn't quite present them with everything that we had. We sort of lowered all of our standards a little bit and presented them with, with stuff that didn't put so much computing power burden on their computers so they could still walk in. It was a tiny difference. You wouldn't have noticed it from looking from the outside, but we literally had to change some of the files that were residing in that expo hall so that people's computers didn't crash when they came in. But that, it was a fun, fun space. It's still up as we're speaking right now, Doc. By the way, where can people see that? You can actually still download the Immersive Learning Research Network, the iLearn Verbella client. It is actually available. The best place to actually pick it up from is we actually have a very active set of Discord channels associated with iLearn. And if you go to our Discord channels, the links to get that particular client to download are there. It is a native client that you have to download to your computer, so we're not describing Rebella is not WebXR. You do actually need to have the piece of software up and running on your computer. And then once you boot up that version of Verbella, you go to a branded island that right now belongs to iLearn. And then from inside that island, there's a teleport menu that you can choose to go to the expo hall. The teleport was so much fun. You hit on something that I think is key to virtual events, which is what are people going to do once they get in the space? I remember during the iLearn, one of the really fun things was the speedboat. What are some suggestions besides that for people to just have fun when you're doing virtual events? Oh, yeah. This, is, this was a great point because I had participated in three other virtual education conferences before we actually put on iLearn. And I absolutely positively mandated that this element be included in our design as soon as I started to see it happen. And I named it serendipity. And that was there was a certain amount of designing dot that needed to not happen. And to allow avatars and people to creatively find their own way into unique experiences that they were going to remember. So we knew the speedboats were going to be there. The speedboats come with the Verbella Island, so that was cool. For the record, I had actually asked for a pirate boat, but that never showed up. So <laughs> that would have been fun. That would have been fun. But I did notice over time a lot of avatars did walk around the island. There were plenty of spaces outside the buildings where there are trees, there's grass. 
you are on an island, so you're surrounded by water. You could actually go down to the edge of the water and sit on the edge of the water and listen to it. There were places where the water had sound, spatial sound coming out of it. You were free to enter the water. If you'd actually entered the water, I don't know if you did that, but I did at one point. I would say it's only about waist deep all the way around the island, so you have you can freedom to walk out into the water and enjoy being out in the water if you like. And just that idea of exploring, going places. People were kind of going into buildings, going into rooms, looking around, finding all kinds of little nooks and crannies that were in the island, and we never scheduled any of that or never forced any of that. Yeah, that was that element of serendipity, like let people discover part of your virtual space all on their own. Let them build their own experience inside of it and just let them have it. You know, it could be letting your avatars express their own creativity. You know, don't restrict the avatars. Let them be boxes. Let them be dinosaurs. Let them be whatever they need to be. Or let them travel or let them fly. You know, all these things you could build into virtual events where you start to really take advantage of the virtual nature, right? Don't just go there to replicate real life. That's incredibly boring. Go there and be 3D, right? Be a person who can fly like Peter Pan. I mean, who doesn't want to fly like Peter Pan? I do. So, you know, create even within a structure that you make, create the ability for the unstructured things to happen. I love that. And we're not going to discuss the attendees who fell off the speedboat, as I did. (laughs) I thought it was interesting. We have already talked about kind of cautionary tales. Don't give too much content or people's computers crash. Allow space. Allow people to explore. But I'm wondering, what would be some creative mistakes, in addition, that you see people make when they're first hosting new virtual events? Yeah, so that again, that I've already said a little bit of it, but that idea of taking too much of what happens in real space and transposing it into virtual space and assuming that it will happen. Way back in the earliest stages of us designing the conference, several members of the organizing committee were worried we were going to have griefing. So I am aware that griefing is a bit of an old virtual world term, so I'll define that in case someone doesn't know what that means. Griefing was a phenomenon back in, it still exists, but in the original virtual worlds that we used to go into, particularly Second Life, griefing was when one avatar did something to a group or another avatar that basically was annoying, and they were using the platform to get away with it. So it could be building something that's offensive to look at, or it could just be getting your avatar right up close into the space of another avatar, not walking away when you're asked to please move away or something like that. And our original organizers had some worries. They were like, how are we going to, for example, stop people who are not the presenters from walking up on stage and interrupting a presentation? How are we going to make sure that behaviors of the avatars when they're on the island are respectful and open. I mean, we literally held this conference in June, which was a very turbulent time in the United States when we actually held it. We were very, very sensitive to the fact of what if some events, something unexpected happened on our little campus space. So a lot of those worries and thoughts about traditional space tried to kind of come into the design aspect. And the good news is that we picked the platform. In this case, it was Verbella primarily. And Verbella specializes in 
I think meetings, business, corporate, education, conference feel. And because the feel of the platform was suited to that particular use, I can't even recall one instance of griefing that I actually saw in the whole conference. I just literally think that the platform just didn't foster it. There didn't seem to be any person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. That just didn't happen. But if you were in other platforms, that would be something that you might want to be much more sensitive to. So, for example, I'll just take Altspace as a counterpoint. It's not an opposite of Rebella by far, but Altspace has much more of an ability for griefing to occur because some of the events that the way Altspace advertises their worlds, which become the places where virtual events happen, is you you can advertise an event as a public event, and that means everybody who logs into Altspace can see your event and walk in. For the iLearn conference, basically, we initially had it as a you had to sign up, basically get a ticket to the conference, and then the ticket got you the ability to download the client and come into the virtual space. So there was a, a stepwise pattern that we followed for people to come in. In Altspace, you could walk into any session that's open and public and go in there, and you can make loud noises, you can gesture, you can walk up, try to walk up on the stage, you can do things to bother it, and you can't really do that in Verbella. So Altspace probably gets a little bit more griefing simply because the platform has the ability to do it. And then, Dot, I would take that idea and then expand it out even further. The more and more and more you want to go to maybe a more niche platform, maybe a more maybe adult-oriented platform, the more you should probably be aware that those kinds of problems could break out. That, you know, you may have things happen in a conference or a festival that you may need to think, how are we going to handle it if these kinds of things happen? What if someone listening would like to know a lot more about designing virtual events and about the platforms you've referenced, along with some of the other 16 that you recently referenced in an article you wrote, all the different platforms and what they do? Let's give some shameless plugs for resources here and where they can learn more. Yes, absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm also on Facebook as well, but I use LinkedIn and Twitter as primarily my professional sources. I do accept links so people can find me. I'm listed as Heather Elizabeth Dodds, Ph.D. on LinkedIn. And at Twitter, I'm at Heather Loves Sci, which stands for Heather Loves Science. And I have been writing about and researching on virtual platforms, and I continue to do so. Even last night, I was starting to formulate the first thoughts on a new article coming out about avatars that I want to work on soon, about how avatar creation works in different platforms. But they can certainly, anybody can, of your listeners can certainly come link with me or follow me on Twitter, and I will return the favor right back to them. And, and I'm happy to talk with people if they have questions. I get a lot of questions right now from educators who've successfully made the transition from on-campus teaching, and they're, they're now perfectly comfortable with Zoom teaching, but they're ready to take it to the next level. So, for example, I've been consulting with science teachers who are ready to take it into virtual, and also I've been working with two theater teachers that are interested in trying to do some theater classes in virtual space, and so I'm helping them figure out which virtual platform best suits the needs of their students and then what they want to do in terms of theater instruction. So people are welcome to contact me for questions like that. I'm happy to chit-chat with them. Technically, I'm actually job hunting as well. So I just want to say that it's one of the reasons why I'd be welcoming the contact. 
excellent. We'll have people connect with you there. By the way, what platforms do work the best for these teachers that are going to be teaching theater classes? Uh, well, actually, the one that I've recommended right off the bat is I actually think Mozilla Hubs will be the first best starting place because in the case of this instructor that I was working with, she's working with a wide variety of technological backgrounds of her students. So said another way, she can't guarantee that all of her students have VR headsets, which is understandable. There are probably very few theater instructors in the world right now that could guarantee all of their students have VR headsets, right? So, so she needs the ability to have a platform that PCs can get into, that Macs can get into, smartphones could get into if they needed to. And then I think being primarily interested in theater instruction, I'm imagining that what she needs the space for is she needs the spaces for the avatars to inhabit or go into. She needs the avatars to be able to comfortably move around like you would do on a stage. And I think she also needs the avatars to, in a limited fashion, interact with artifacts. So think of like what you would think of a traditional stage. It might have a few objects sitting on the stage with you. Not very many. You know, maybe tables, chairs, a tree, depending on the situation, right? There'd just be a few objects. Hubs will allow the importation of three-dimensional objects. They're free. You can get them. You can import them in. It's really simple. Doesn't cre- As long as you keep it to a low number of objects, it doesn't create that much of a load onto the servers and having students come in. You could then pack 20, 30 people easily into one virtual space and have those people engage in some, it has spatial sound, so it actually would sound like people are in certain spaces in a room, and you could engage in perhaps theater practice that way. And so I thought Hubs was the, really the best answer for that particular scenario, because I could see her needing to interact with a few objects. And again, that overall idea of if you don't know what the background of what your students have technologically, you're going to want to lean really towards those platforms that have the most amount of accessibility for Bella, Hubs, Frame, some degree, Altspace, although Altspace is definitely not a winner in that category. But Rec Room is another one that I thought of as well. Relatively easy to get in and to engage. So I said, that's the place you want to start. It would be extremely difficult. It would be visually beautiful to get into Sansar or to get into Neos VR in some of these situations, but so few students would be able to successfully get in unless they have seriously a computer that's under probably three years old. You couldn't use that for those platforms. So you have to use a platform people can get into. And then once you're in the space, and I think you and I agree on that, Dot, once you're in the virtual space, The sky's the limit when it comes to creativity. I have seen amazing things happen in hubs, and I thought hubs was sort of the plain vanilla of virtual platforms out there. And yet I've been to concerts. I have been to art shows. So there's some really cool stuff that can happen just in the simplest of platforms, actually. And finally, Heather, if people could only get one thing from you and your work in XR about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you? Still remember that the human is the common factor, right? A lot of people like to look, even educators like to look at these virtual platforms and say, oh, it's a new world, it's a new vista, this will change education as we know it. We will have a suddenly, we'll get to students that we were never able to get to before because we're using this immersive way. And I'm sorry to say I don't believe a drop of that. 
I think we get to the students that we get to in the same way we've always got to them. And the reason is because we're humans with each other. And if you keep the human at the center of the design, at the center of all of your equations, the technology then just becomes the tool to get you there, right? It's that line from the Matrix. What you really need to understand is there is no spoon. Heather, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Doc. You and I have been listening to Dr. Heather Dodds, Senior XR Researcher and Designer, Author, and Virtual Reality Event Designer and Producer. If you'd like to check out the iLearn Conference, which ran from June 21st through the 25th of 2020, go to immersivelearn.org. I will spell that. It's immersive and then L-R-N dot org. And that'll give you the directions to join their Discord channel. Meanwhile, as Heather said, you're welcome to reach out to her on LinkedIn. She's Heather Elizabeth Dodds, PhD, and you can follow her on Twitter as well. Her handle is Heather Loves SCI, as in science. Heather Loves Sci on Twitter, and don't miss her new articles on virtual worlds. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.